The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Now, today we are so going to bust so many myths and clarify a lot of facts with my guest, Dr. Brian Vartabadian. Dr. Vartabadian, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here, Marie. I'm excited. Well, for those of you who might not know, Dr. Vartamedian is a pediatric gastroenterologist at Texas Children's Hospital in Houston, which is America's largest children's hospital. And beyond examining thousands of dirty diapers over his career, he's made a life-shaping practical solutions to the digestive health problems of children. He is the author of Colic Solved and also a new book, Looking out for number two, a slightly irreverent guide to poo, gas, and other things that come out of your baby. (laughs) Now, I got to tell you, listeners, when I saw the title of this book, I said, I have got to have this man on the show. (laughs) Uh, Anybody that has a title like that has got to have something in in mind that is beyond what I ever would have thought of. So let's start here. I have heard of stargazing, but I've never heard of a term that you use. You have introduced the concept of stool gazing as pertains to the parents. What is a stool gazer and why why are parents so preoccupied with this? Yeah, that's a great question, Marie, because it's kind of one of the focal points of my book. And uh, that is that Uh, a lot of young parents spend a lot of time looking at their diapers. You know, when we think about what babies do or what they don't do, um, you know, they eat, they sleep, and they use the restroom. Yep. And so um, it stands to reason that, um, you know, parents are going to look at what their babies are doing, and some parents become very, very preoccupied with what their babies are doing in the diaper. And so... Uh, we, in my line of work, we call them stool gazers. And so they're parents who are just really fixated on this. I've seen that with parents and I've seen that with professionals and I've done it myself. And you know, it's funny, Marie, because we sometimes get parents who come in with, uh, they bring in pictures, bring in graphs, they bring in all <laughs> kinds of crazy things. And it's, that's kind of one of, one of the things that motivated me to write this book. It's like, how do we help parents understand more about what they're looking at? Because there's a lot more going on down there than we really, really have thought before, you know? Yeah. So real quick, I know what a pediatrician is. 
but I'm not sure that everybody knows what your subspecialty is or why. Why would a parent come to a pediatric gastroenterologist as opposed to just checking out their whatever with their pediatrician? Yeah, no, that's a great question because uh, for most babies, a pediatrician is going to serve the needs of a baby and a parent really, really well. But sometimes kids and babies get into problems that require um, a specialty input, and certainly with regard to poop and all the problems that we that we run into with poop and the digestive tract, a pediatric gastroenterologist is someone that really helps consult with a pediatrician and uh, and give advice on complex problems. And so that's where I come in. Okay. All righty. So you've figured out that parents are pretty preoccupied with this stuff. But along the same lines, I want to tell you that bugs, let's talk about bugs. Because when I was a young nurse, bugs were a bad thing. We couldn't have any bugs. We couldn't have any germs. We couldn't have any dirt. And now it seems, and we did a whole show on this, but I would like your take on uh, how, how did we get this shift from pristine clean to bugs are a good thing? Yeah, I know that's a great question because through the better part of the 20th century, we were so fixated on keeping everything sterile and keeping everything clean. Uh, if you remember those pictures of nurses in the nurseries in the t- mid-20th century, the nurses all had uh, surgical masks on when they were handling babies. And um, the tide has turned somewhat, and we've come to understand that a lot of the bacteria that we find in our environment um, are actually critical to helping a baby uh, understand how to you know, go forward and um, learn to live in a world with lots of bacteria in it. Um, so we're, we're kind of learning how to live with bacteria as opposed to um, fight them. You know, so much of what we used to do in the 20th century was get worried and concerned about bacteria and treat them and kill them with antibiotics. But we're now recognizing that um, our coexistence with bacteria is actually critical to a baby's survival and ad- adaptation to his environment. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's that whole baby microbiome thing. And yeah, yeah, exactly. It's uh, I like to call it the baby bi- the baby biome. The baby biome, yes. And uh, f- just a, a word to our listeners: this is not new. I would say I started reading about it maybe in the late '80s or so. I can't remember precisely, but in the last two or three years, it's really on everybody's radar, and certainly yours as well. Now, in your book, you made a. A part one, which was about what goes in, and then in part two, you talked about what comes out. So I was fairly confident that that I knew the part about the what goes in, not so much so on the what comes out, but I'd like you to hitch that up for us, please. Does it make a difference whether the baby is breastfed or bottle fed, I should say formula fed, as related to what actually appears in his diaper? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, it's a really important question because what we find in the diaper of a baby who is breastfed and bottle fed, uh, they're completely different. In fact, the bacterial spectrum that we see in a, uh, a breastfed baby is a completely different uh, uh, population of bacteria. Uh, it's very high in what we call bifidobacteria, and these are uh, some of the power bacteria that I talk about in my book that uh, may be accountable for some of the real advantages that we see in breastfed babies. Um, so 
obviously going beyond just the bacteria that we find in 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 poop. There's also all the bioactive factors, the uh, uh, immunoglobulins, and the other things that flow from a mother's breast that help keep the inside of a baby happy and healthy. So there's a lot going on down there, and there's a big difference between uh, what we might refer to as artificial milk and breast milk. Uh huh. Does it smell different? Yes. Well, yeah, they, they do smell different. It really depends what kind of artificial milk you're talking about. Um, but some of, the, some of the formulas can really smell pretty bad, uh, especially when we look at some of the hypoallergenic formulas. In the book, I kind of refer to them as having this uh, roadkill smell. And so um, some of them can be pretty, pretty rank. Yeah, I want to talk more about this smell thing, which is... Um, is it true that mothers are less repelled by the, or less repulsed by the smell? What, uh, you mean of their own baby's diaper? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, it's interesting. Uh, obviously, you've read Looking Out for Number Two, because I cite a study in there, which is a really interesting, a little bit weird, but in Australia, they took uh, mothers and they uh, put dirty diapers in front of them. Uh, one of them was, of course, their own baby's diaper, and they found that... Uh, Mothers uh, are far less repulsed by the odor of their own baby's diapers. Now, the authors of the study uh, speculate that this could have real, uh, a real selective advantage for raising children. Uh, in other words, it may help us nurture our babies when we're more comfortable with the way our babies smell. Um, so, I mean, it's a bit of a reach, but it's kind of an interesting and weird study. But um, it gets back to the whole point that um, our babies get their bacteria or some of their bacteria from us. We mm -hmm. handle them during those early hours and minutes of life. And the bacteria that we transmit to them um, allows them to populate their colon with similar bacteria to ours. Um, and so we tend to be more familiar with those odors than, um, than with other babies. Uh, what's also important about that is in addition to passing our genes along when we when we genetically make a baby, we also pass along a second set of genes, and that's through the microbiome or the baby biome that we cultivate and foster in a baby. Mm. Well, that's just kind of an interesting uh, question. As long as we're talking about what comes out, what it smells like, and what it's like, I, I noticed that you said, and I'm sure you must have some basis for this, that Parents spend two thousand to twenty five hundred dollars per year for diapers, and yeah. also said that there are twenty two billion, and that was billion with a B, disposable diapers in our landfills. Uh, talk to us about that. Yeah, no, I, I think that um, I, I think you know when 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 we're preparing to have a baby, one of the few things that we think about is how we're going to diaper that baby and. Um, with some of the stats that I cite in looking out for number two, we're creating an awfully large uh, landfill with uh, the diapers that, uh, the disposable diapers that parents find so convenient. Um, I think it's a real, it's a broad issue. Certainly it's not one that we're going to solve or fix today, but um, it's something that we really have to think about when we're uh, raising and, and, and uh, raising our, our babies. Uh, we have to think about uh, uh, sustainability and other things like that. Now, it's important to think, too, that even with disposable diapers, there are 
uh, things that go along with that that aren't so Earth-friendly as well, such as the water and the detergent used to, to clean diapers. So it kind of goes both ways. Um, mm -hmm. How we choose to diaper our babies is a very individual decision. Um, but those stats that you find in looking up for number two are, are pretty compelling. Um, and if you've ever raised a baby, you know that you, you, you create a pretty significant number of disposable diapers. And so it's something for all of us to think about as a society, for sure. Yes, but I thought you made a good case, too, for the fact that the price of disposable diapers is about the same as the price of hiring a diaper service. I'm a big believer in diaper services. I've actually bought diaper service for friends who've had a baby. Uh, right. One woman told me that uh, this was her fourth baby. That was the best gift she got. and Didn't really need another onesie, you know. But yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know how that stacks up against having to to do all the washing and stuff of your own diapers, but you also made the point that there is a footprint left when we are using all of that water and all of that detergent to wash our own diapers as well. So there's really no... Uh, no easy answer to this. Hey, everybody, do not go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Dr. Brian Vartabadian, and we will be right back after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. 
To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Dr. Brian Vartabedian. He is a pediatric gastroenterologist, and he's here to talk to us about thinking about number two. Yeah, well, before we get to number two, one of the things that we have is a lot of air going around in the GI tract. I want you to talk about burping because I'm I'm scrambling here for where you've got this. You said, and I quote, I personally learned how to burp babies from watching the grand masters of burping, the nurses in the newborn nursery. Well, since I used to be the nurse in the newborn nursery, I, I, I was flattered. Uh, (laughs) You said, not in your nursery, but still a nursery. Um, The only reason I understand as much as I do about the art of the belch is because I stand on the shoulders of these amazing burpmeisters. Okay, so talk to us about burping the baby. I get this question from parents all the time. Yeah, burping is kind of interesting because uh, if you go way back to why we need to do it, that's kind of like the first question because, uh, you know, why do we even need to burp babies? And the reason is, obviously, if you've ever fed a baby, uh, like almost all of your listeners have, I'm sure, uh, babies are a little uncoordinated with the way they suck and swallow. It's a very natural consequence of that fourth trimester of baby development, right, that fourth trimester of gut development. They're just kind of learning how to figure it out, and so they're swallowing air. And so when that air gets into the stomach, it can go one of two places. It can come up or it uh, is going to go down, and we all know what happens when it goes down. It leads to amazing gas in a baby. So uh, burping becomes a really necessary, if not critical, thing to keeping a baby happy and healthy. Um, And so... And that's kind of where I always start off with my discussion about burping, and there's even more to it, but I don't know where you want to take it, Marie. Well, I want to talk a little bit about positioning. I know that you can't repeat everything that you said because you even gave diagrams and everything, but yeah. uh, talk to us a little bit about burp, about positioning because I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah. And so when that air gets in the stomach... Um, there's a valve at the top of the stomach called the lower esophageal sphincter, and that likes to open and close in babies, and it's nature's way of letting that air out. The problem is, um, depending on how a baby's positioned, that bubble of air that the baby swallows need to be, needs to be positioned right over that LES so that when it, a lower esophageal sphincter, so that when it opens, it can come out. And so, um, as I discussed in looking out for number two, there are uh, three or four different positions for holding a baby to burp them. And every baby's anatomy is different, and you have to figure out what works best in terms of burping your baby. Uh, but a lot of it comes down to a baby's anatomy. Some of it comes down to luck. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so, uh, yeah, we, it's, 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 it's an interesting read because uh, we, don't, we don't think about burping too much, but there's some good information for young parents on how to do that. All right, so here's another thing. I have seen parents who absolutely will not put the baby down to sleep until they absolutely get that burp out of them. And I have sometimes told parents, hey, look it, 
you're going to get it. If it's there, it's either going to go up or it's going to go down, but it's going to come out. Is that true? Um, it, it, it will come out. We prefer that it, um, we prefer that it comes out from above than below because it has a long way to go from below. Um, now, along those lines, those parents who are hell-bent on burping their babies, you yes. really have to understand the personality of your baby because if you feed your baby on the right side and you want to burp in between, there are some babies that are really, really, they're just not very patient and their personality is such that they want to keep going. Right. So, so the more yep. you try to push that baby to burp them, the more air they're going to swallow from all the fussing and crying because they want to feed and you're defeating the whole purpose. Does that make sense? Yes. And that's kind of where I was going with them is, and these are the parents who are, as you said, hell bent. It's like they just, they just yeah. got to have it. And right. sometimes you, you realize this is like going in the wrong, well, going in the wrong direction is probably not the time to say that, but you know what I mean. It, it's counterproductive. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And so you, it, this is one of these things that, that will carry parents all through, through, uh, through childhood is that every, every kid has their own personality and it begins right from the first days of life. And, uh, some, some babies are not great burpers and some like to feed right through. And you have to be flexible enough to be able to understand what your baby's needs are. And that during that conversation with, with yeah, breastfeeding yeah. and burping, right. It's watching cues of the baby. Now, yeah. one of the things too, that I try hard to tell parents is I see them thumping the baby on the back and I mean I'm talking so hard that all I can think of is in the days when I worked on a pulmonary floor and we did cupping and clapping and you know they're going bong 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 and I'm thinking this poor kid you know and the baby still doesn't burp does does thumping him on the back does that do anything yeah yeah that's a great question because I think parents uh Parents often see this, and it's sort of a learned behavior that young parents see from 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 mother-in-law and and on television and and, yes. and so on. And um, vibration and gentle uh, tapping does consolidate air, but it still doesn't help that burp come up. Right? Uh, it only consolidates the bubble. You still have to get lucky when that valve opens. You have to have that bubble of air just in the right position. So. Frequently changing positions and uh, understanding what works for your baby is what you need to do. But clapping can add to it. The heavy thumping probably not, a, not, not, not adding much. Yeah. Again, well, that's kind of where I was coming from. Okay. And tell us this. You have been in practice for more than 20 years. So what are some of the most common misunderstandings about babies and the digestive health that have led parents to stop breastfeeding because I feel like this show is about the myths. I'm not going to say I've heard all the myths, but man, I've heard a lot. What, what have you heard? Yeah, pro- well, probably the biggest myth that I see promulgated even from pediatricians is um, the, the baby with milk protein allergy who is moderately sick uh, can't be breastfed. And so, yep. so often, when we take these babies with milk allergy, and I think we probably need to dive into that a little bit more, Marie, but um, we, we very successfully can treat most of these babies. And I would say that I see so many babies that are referred to me who are prematurely taken off breast milk and put on hypoallergenic formula yep. just because of misunderstanding. And so that's probably the most frustrating thing 
for me because you know what it's like once mom stops or she's committed to stopping or her supply goes down it sort of uh, it creates a problem absolutely and and yet the mother believes that the pediatrician believes that mm-hmm. and sometimes i feel like the whole world believes that but i just don't think there's any evidence either scientific or in my clinical experience that really substantiates that sometimes the baby's worse i think yeah no exactly and so if we look at milk protein allergy in babies, about 5% of babies uh, manifest some sort of protein, you know, allergy to, to, to milk protein, either casein or whey. But the good news is if mom restricts casein and whey, which are the common milk proteins and often soy, um, they can clear their breast milk within a few days and the baby can get to healing within a week or two. And that's oftentimes where the rub comes because it takes uh, sometimes up to two or three weeks uh, especially if we have streaks of blood in the poo, it sometimes takes two or three weeks to see that blood clear uh, and a week or two for that baby to get happier. So as is so often the case with colicky or irritable babies, everybody wants an immediate solution, and so yes. uh, we become impatient. And so that's uh, it's uh, very frustrating to see. Um, I want to go off the rails here for just a minute, and that is I recently had a pediatrician come to my comprehensive lactation course, and she told me, that she felt that nowadays the discussion was not so much about the cow's milk protein allergy, but rather about an intolerance. And I know that those are two different things, but what's your take on that? Yeah, so that's that's very important. And I go into this in detail in my book, Looking Out for Number Two. But uh, so an intolerance, very simply, um, is when a baby takes or even an adult takes a food product and has some kind of problem with it. Yeah. So a baby takes uh, carrots and gets gas. A baby takes carrots and spits up. Um, we would characterize that as an intolerance. To be characterized as an allergy has to involve the immune system. Um, so if the immune system is involved, there are antibodies and things like that, and immune cells involved in the reaction, then we call it an allergy. So... Um, the terms tend to get mashed up a little bit, um, but true allergy is an, is an immune-mediated process. Intolerance can be just about anything where there's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much what I say. I'm not sure that parents fully understand what that means, but it still comes down to don't think that that putting the baby on the formula is going to solve the problem because I, I just don't think it does necessarily. No, absolutely not. And so with true, true milk protein allergy in babies, uh, with that, with, you know, classically with the, the scaly eczema skin, streaks of blood, the poo, mucus, and colicky irritability, uh, those babies uh, who are breastfed often do beautifully with restriction of casein and whey and sometimes soy. So just be patient and, and ride it out, and most of those babies do just fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Here's a question for you. Why is it that when babies are eating, they are also stooling? Oh, that's a great question. There's There's a reflex called the gastrocolic reflex, and that is when a baby's stomach stretches, it stimulates the colon to squeeze. And so uh, when that stomach fills up with milk, the colon starts to push and babies make a poop. And so uh, certainly during the first several weeks of life uh, and even longer, um, after baby eats, you'll often see them make a diaper very, very predictably. 
This reflex will even carry on to later in life, and even some adults have a very, very strong gastrocolic reflex. Um, they will only go to the bathroom after eating dinner, eating breakfast. And so uh, it's an interesting reflex and explains why babies poop when they eat. And if you've ever had a puppy, you know that it works with puppies, too. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everybody, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto with Born to be Breastfed. And my guest today is gastroenterologist Dr. Brian Bartabedian. And we will be right back after this short break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto with Born to be Breastfed, and my guest today is pediatric gastroenterologist Dr. Brian Vartabedian. Dr. Vartabedian, we seem to hear, I would say in the last eight or ten years, there's been a whole lot more flap about reflux, 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 and then there's GER and GERD and all these you know terms floating around. I'm not sure that the healthcare professionals really understand it, and I'm definitely not sure that the parents understand it. Could you unpack some of this for us, please? Yeah, absolutely. And this is a you know a lot like the intolerance and allergy question that we 
visited a few few minutes ago. But um, these are terms, reflux and reflux disease are terms that are commonly thrown around and there's a lot of confusion around them. So if we just start with gastroesophageal reflux, um, this is the condition where stuff that's in the stomach goes up where it doesn't belong. What's important about that is that everybody has reflux and every baby has reflux. So it is very normal for stuff to come out of the stomach and up into the swallowing tube. Most of the time, we just swallow it back. Babies who are horizontal, who have that loose lower esophageal sphincter, who, and who are on liquid diets, um, it tends to come up and they, it causes them to spit up. But it's a benign and innocent condition under most, uh, most situations. Now, sometimes that very normal, very physiologic reflux can uh, create problems. Problems with kind of burning in the chest, uh, getting into the lungs, profound irritability, and poor feeding. Um, when that happens, we call it gastroesophageal reflux disease. We put disease on the end of it because it means the baby's sick from it. Does that help? Yes. Yes. But what do I say to parents who are doing what I would just call a normal spit up? I have seen yeah. enough babies in my life to know that babies just spit up. They just do. And I noticed that you call them <laughs> happy spitters. I, I love that term. Right. But I'm not sure that I'm real good at giving parents guidance about, like, like when do you call for help? When is it not? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question because, as, as I suggested, so many babies have normal garden variety spitting up, and parents tend to identify it as a real problem, and so... So much of what I do, is, you know, certainly with these happy spitters, is education. And so um, if a baby is happy and healthy and doing well otherwise, um, we tend to, to not be concerned and uh, not be obsessed with how many times they're spitting up. The things we do look for and the things that parents need to look for um, are, number one, a profound irritability. So if that acid's coming up and it's burning and it's leading to that chaotic feeding where the baby's pulling off the breast... Because mm. of all the pain, um, there's that, uh, and, and, and the screaming and colicky behavior that goes with that, that's a problem. If a baby's truly choking and uh, certainly changing colors when they spit up and, and gagging with that, that's something we need to look for. And finally, if a baby is not gaining weight because they're losing too much in the way of their calories. Talk to us more about that uh, screaming, how soon can this start? So, you know, it can, it can start during the first, uh, first days to week or two of life. Um, there's enough acid there to be causing a baby uh, real irritability. And so uh, the signs that, that that irritability is is acid reflux as opposed to something else, uh, a few things to look for is the fact that they're, they're worse when they're horizontal or when they're on their back. Um, they tend to fight the bottle, they fight the, or they fight the breast, uh, mm. they arch back. Uh, they tend to have a lot of hiccups. Uh, they want to be upright. Um, and the timing of their irritability seems to be after feeds. And so those are a few clues that reflux is the problem as opposed to anything else. Okay, and so it's not just the frequency of the spitting, and it's not just the volume of the spitting. It's all of these other characteristics. Would that be a, a true statement? Yeah, absolutely. So it's 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 the signs that a baby is sick, rather than uh, the spit frequency or the spit volume. So we you know tend to 
sometimes call this spinning up a laundry problem more than a medical problem, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but when they're not, and, and I don't want to minimize because it's a big issue for a first-time mom and they're nervous about it, but um, the things we're looking for, you know, choking, gagging, profound irritability, and not good weight gain, which a pediatrician will help identify. Yeah, you know, I, I feel compelled to tell an interesting story that happened to me just a bit ago when I was actually teaching a course and a woman came to the course, and in the course brochure, it says that if you have a baby that's uh, less than six months old, quiet nursing, blah, 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 that, that you can come with your baby. Well, this baby was not quiet, but more importantly was that I noticed that when he did this, quote, spitting, he was vomiting I would say, I don't know, 8 to 12 inches in front of him, and it looked very forceful. I was very distracted trying to teach because I'm really worried about this kid. Right. The baby was about five weeks old, and I took the mother aside and sort of said to her, look, at you know, I, I want you to be happy in this course, yada, 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 but I'm really worried about your baby. And yeah. she kind of said, oh, well, you know, I told the pediatrician about his spit up, but, and so... I said to her, I didn't want to alarm her, but I was really worried that something really serious was wrong with this baby, as in pyloric stenosis or something. Yeah. And so I kind of said to her, I'm not sure that you're you're really describing what's happening with the baby. And I know that nowadays pediatrician visits are shorter and shorter. So, you know, maybe mm. the doctor hadn't really said this. So how do you help the parent to give a good history of this spitting thing? Yeah, yeah, and this is a very, very important point. And this baby is point. breastfed. Baby is fully breastfed now. No, right, right, and and you know the there's a lot of different ways to describe what comes out of baby's mouths, right? There's there's erping up. The you know regurgitation is the passive erping up of stuff, and that's probably what the pediatrician thought was going on here. There's vomiting, which is a contraction of the stomach where it's a little more forceful, and then there's projectile vomiting, which is what you described. The trap we run into as pediatricians is that we'll see a baby, say, at three weeks of age who's spitting up a bunch, and we'll say, oh, we need to watch that, keep an eye on it. So between that visit and when they come in at six weeks or two months, um, the vomiting becomes forceful, which is about the right time, as you suggested, for pyloric stenosis. So parents really need to be aware of the changing characteristic of that vomiting, certainly around four to six weeks of age which is when pyloric stenosis happens, and that's Typically, the yeah. thickening of that muscle at the tail end of the stomach. It's like a blockage to the exit of the stomach. And how do you help? Because in your book, you talk about how the parent has to be the advocate for the child. Totally agree. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you are a physician as well as a parent. When does the parent need to be more aggressive in saying to the pediatrician, look at, maybe you're not worried, but I'm worried. Well, when when do you sort of right. go to bed for your kid, you know? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of this gets down to the relationship that you share with your provider, mm -hmm. be it a, a yeah. great nurse practitioner or a, or a pediatrician or family doctor. And um, you, you really have to be able to uh, be sharing and expressing when you don't think your needs are being addressed. I think too often parents think that they've got one provider and one relationship and that's the way it is. And uh, certainly if you're not being heard and your needs aren't being met, maybe time to change that relationship. But 
um, you're your own, you are the only advocate you have for your baby because your baby can't speak for herself. And so that's, that's a tough, that's a tough question though, Marie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, another question that I get all the time is my kid has green poo. <laughs> yeah, us, that's, um, that's a big one. Tell us about green poo. I can think of about eight or 10 reasons why a kid would have green poo. And trust me, I've changed thousands of diapers in my life. But what do you say? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's start with where poo gets its color, first off. Sure. Because you can't sure. understand why poo would be green without understanding why it's brown. So poo gets its pigmentation from uh, a liquid that comes out of the liver called bile. Uh, it comes out of the liver very green, um, almost like a, a, an unripened banana. And as it makes its way down through the intestinal tract, it goes from green uh, to its, uh, when it comes out, that nice hue of brown that we associate with poo. Now, when poo comes out of the baby's bottom bright green, what it tells us is that the transit through the intestinal tract has been very, very quick. So, excuse me, sometimes we'll see this with a viral gastroenteritis or when a baby's sick. Um, we'll have rapid transit and the poo will come out green. If a child's otherwise well, it's nothing to worry about. A baby who gets a lot of uh, uh, foremilk, um, who has very, very thin milk, uh, it, it may get that rapid transit as well. And so we may see bright green uh, poo there as well. So typically nothing to worry about unless there's a lot of diarrhea associated with it. Yeah, you know, another piece, though, is that sometimes I will hear professionals who see, quote, blood in the stool and their knee-jerk response is, oh, you probably have, um, your baby probably has an allergy to all the dairy that you're eating. And I am not eager to say that. I think that blood in the stool is serious. It might be nothing, but it might be something. Uh, in the less than one minute that we have, can you address that? Yeah, well, obviously with breastfeeding moms, one of the things that we want to think about too is crack, I mean, crack nipples are a very common source of bleeding and Totally. Uh, there are a lot of, so that's uh, obviously one of the things that, that can be that can be corrected. Most moms know that, but um, you know, blood in the poop can be very, very serious, as you suggest, Marie. And so I, I go through all the things to look for and looking out for number two. And so I would encourage readers to take a peek at it and uh, get a better sense of when to be alarmed and when to let it go. Yeah, absolutely. And also, please, um, no, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna leave everybody on this little cliffhanger. And that is, when we, come, <laughs> when we come back, I'm going to ask Dr. Vartabedian about oatmeal, veggies before fruit, and other such myths that I think are floating around. You've heard them. I've heard them. Um, I've even believed them. <laughs> I've probably even perpetrated them from time to yeah. time. <laughs> we'll come right back after this short break. Your life, your health. Your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. 
Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7, so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, and I am about to ask... Dr. Brian Vertibedian, what about oatmeal? You suggest oatmeal rather than rice cereal. How come? So I wrote uh, one of the one of the things with rice cereal is that it can be very constipating, and so there have been recent studies suggesting that oatmeal is less constipating than rice cereal. So uh, contains just the right amount of iron, and so it's one of my preferred uh, solids. Alrighty, um, here's the next one. I wish I had a nickel for this one, which is, uh, oh, I've got to give my baby the vegetables before the fruit, because if not, yeah. he'll never eat the vegetables after I give him the fruit. Truth or myth? Yeah, no, that's a myth. I mean, there's this belief that uh, babies are going to develop a sweet tooth if we give them fruits before vegetables, and that simply isn't the case at this point. They they can't reach that level of taste preference at this age, and so... Um, it really isn't something the parents need to fret about so much. So they can give them anything they want. Yeah, they can. The only key issue is, you know, iron can be a big issue middle of the first year. And so some, uh, some cereal and some meat products would be helpful in getting that iron in. But beyond that, uh, we have a lot more latitude than we think. 
How do you recommend that parents add one food at a time and then wait two or three days? Truth or myth? Yeah. So I think that uh, the, the truth is that most of our first foods that we offer babies uh, tend to be minimally reactive, and so it tends not to create too much of a problem. But um, introducing one food at a time uh, by every three to five days is always a good practice for intolerance or allergy, and it, it, it makes parents more comfortable as well. Absolutely. Uh, I just want to bust one myth because I know that Dr. Vartabedian has really taken this on in the book. Sometimes I've had parents tell me, well, she's six months old. The doctor said that I have to give her solids at six months old. She turns six months today. And it's like, no, 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 not necessarily. And, and in your book, you really addressed all of what I would call the developmental cues that babies are or are not ready. And I would also add that, at least for me, I tell parents they've got to have more than one of these cues, but one is not enough. They've, and, and also that the whole idea is to offer them solids, not to force it down them. Would you agree? Right. No, I would agree. And this issue of timing, yeah. parents are so often racing to get their baby on solids. Uh, but I agree with you. You can push it just to easily to six and seven months. Beyond that, we, we want some oral stimulation so that baby gets used to having solids in the mouth. But beyond that, there is no race to starting solids for sure. Okay, so here's the great granddaddy of them all. Babies will sleep better if they have solids. Truth or myth? Oh, no, that's 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 myth. And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, keep them breastfeeding as long as you can. And that's going to be the best thing to help that baby sleep. And uh, uh, so, yeah, so many myths out there, Marie. Good gosh, we could be on all day, I think. Oh, yeah. The the show is now, I think, in its uh, more than third year. I think we're going on the fourth year, and I get to bust the myths every week. <laughs> like right. There are just so many of these myths floating around. All right, so I just want to tell readers that your new book is Looking Out for Number Two, A Slightly Irreverent Guide to Poo, Gas, and Other Things That Come Out of Your Body. I think I must have trouble with that word here. Uh <laughs> I just want to say that I kind of skimmed part one, which is about what goes in, because I sort of felt I knew that. As for the what goes out, you have done hundreds of pages here on what comes out. And right. I would say that I have changed thousands and thousands of diapers in my life, and I had something to learn. I think that everybody would have something to learn. But I would like to ask you, uh, what really motivated you to write this book? I mean, I don't even know where you get the time to write it, but what, what gave you the motivation for this? Yeah, no, it's a it, it's a great question because as we opened up the the interview with this issue of stool gazers, parents are so obsessed with what their babies come out with, and they're probably smarter than we think they are because uh, we're now learning that so much of what happens in a baby's digestive tract is setting up uh, that baby for a, a a healthy future, and so. The way we feed them, the types of bacteria that go in there, the way those milk proteins interact with the immune system all impact the way a baby grows and develops. And so pulling some of that science together along with some of the practical understanding of what's happening on diapers is kind of what motivated me. So it was a lot of fun to write. Yeah, and I want to tell you, it's a lot of fun to read. Uh, almost always I was by myself reading this, and I would find myself just laughing and and. <laughs> Feeling like I'm all by myself and I'm sitting here laughing. There were some lines that were absolutely hilarious. I even called my husband to read one of them, the lines, because I just thought it was absolutely 
totally terrific. Uh, very easy read. You really weave in a lot of good science, but you weave in the science in a way that's, you know, really pretty user-friendly. Now, right. you know, I'm probably a little bit smarter than the average new parent, but uh, nonetheless, uh, you really, you you put things in terms that I think most parents would understand, and uh, that was just hugely, it, it was great. So tell us, uh, we're going to feature your book on our website, and for those of you who haven't been to my website, you need to get to my website, which is borntobebreastfed.com, and uh, we will feature Dr. Vartabedian's book there, but where else can we buy this book? So you can get that book wherever any uh, books are sold, uh, 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 Barnes & Noble, uh, Amazon.com, all of the major online resellers uh, have this book, and so it's available uh, May 23rd, and so uh, I would encourage everyone to enjoy this as, a, as an entertaining and fun way to learn about your baby. Yeah, and I would also say the more that you can learn about your baby, the better off you are, whether it goes in or comes out. We've all got to be much more in tune to that. Well, well, as usual, this day and this hour usually goes a lot faster than what any of us had planned. And so I would just like to thank my guest today, Dr. Brian Vartabedian. Dr. Vartabedian, thank you so much for being with us today. Murray, thank you very much for your time. It's been fun. Well... That's all we have, but remember, we're here every single Monday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time. Now, if you're interested in books or other media that was mentioned on today's show or even on previous show, just check out my website and also check out my blog, check out my Facebook. Now, if there's good stuff there, would you... Push that little thing that says like because it kind of feeds my ego. All right. And feel free to leave a question for me or for Dr. Vartabedian or any of our past guests. If I can answer it, I will. If not, I will pass it on to the guest. Now, if you're a professional and you're looking for continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. My courses and tons of resources and my blog and much more are all available at my professional website, and that's breastfeedingoutlook.com. Again, breastfeedingoutlook.com. I'm Marie Biancuto, and I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.